Do you ever like when you were a kid? Did you ever go in the forest and eat random plants? Yes. My God, that was scouting. Yeah. Right? Where they're like, "Hey, here's this book. It tells you what you can eat and what you can't." I'm like, "Salmon berries. That sounds edible." Right. Right. And then, I mean, technically, I didn't die, so I guess edible. Yeah. Right. But there, there was. I learned that you can stave off scurvy by boiling pine needles and making tea out of it. You know what's an awful lot like pine needles? Hemlock. <laughs> Still here. I'm okay. <laughs> but yikes. <laughs> Could have died. Could have died. And there was just like random mushrooms that looked kind of like the black and white outline drawings that were in the scout like handbook and stuff. Yeah. That, but I mean, at some point, a black and white outline just looks like another black and white outline. Like, it yeah. was not really helpful. We were guessing. And again, we didn't die. We didn't even get on any good, like, magic mushroom trips. It was just... No. We, we just ate shit. It's very true. Yeah. I'm assuming you did, Megan, because you course. brought it up. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I was also a scout. Yeah. And I also had that same fucking book with black and white yeah. drawings that would tell you, yeah, you could eat this. And I'm like, one, I'm a children's, and mm. I'm not going to follow this to a T. But, um, but... <laughs> Uh, my partner likes to go mushroom hunting, like just loves it. And we'll like come home with all different types of mushrooms and be like, oh, this one does this and this one does that and this one does this. Oh, okay. I thought that was a euphemism. Nope. Okay. But welcome. <laughs> <laughs> works. <laughs> kind of works, but no. <laughs> but yeah, I, as an adult now, I will only, I, I will not forage in the forest. No. Nope. But like when I was a children's, I definitely did forage in the forest. Huckleberries, like my old house backed onto like a forest. Mm -hmm. And so like when we were kids back then, you went outside to play because your parents didn't want to have anything to do with you. We didn't have TV to entertain yeah. ourselves. You were sent outside so, for the day. Yeah. Well, we're, we're all 90s kids, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So we were always out there and it was always huckleberries and like gooseberries and like all that kind of we stuff. We had blackberry bushes with tons of thorns and Blueberries and, shit and yeah. all that kind of yeah. stuff, like all over the place in that forest. And then, like, random leaves and stuff. There was some, like, you would just learn were, like, really sweet. So you, Or, like, the tall grass that mm -hmm. were really sweet yeah, yeah, yeah. and, like, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, fuck no. I did. <laughs> no. I, I, I did nearly, like, die in the bathroom one day from eating too many crab apples. Mm. Mm. Oh, boy. I think every scout has, did that at least one time. Yeah, because you're like, wow, what a great edible food this is. I'm like, yeah, yeah. well. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's, it's pretty gross and it doesn't taste great, but I'm hungry. And home's pretty far away. Yeah, so. I love crab apples because they were like they're sour. Yeah, I fucking love that. Yeah, I yeah. yeah, and then I ate too many of them and decided that they were better suited as ammunition than as food. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. The only thing that we harvested, I would say, foraged, I guess, is um, Saskatoons, oh. which don't exist here. Saskatoon berries. That's fair. I mean, you lived in the prairies. What did you have? Wheat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was fucking wheat for days around where I lived. You walked to the riverbank and picked Saskatoons, and that's it. Fair enough. <laughs> okay, are the berries named after the city, or is the city named after the berries? I should know this answer, but I don't. Okay. <laughs> I will say the berries were named after the city. Okay. But I don't know for sure. Yeah, because they're not here. Or yeah. anywhere else. I remember... I remember being in, like, fourth grade, and there was some, she was, God bless her, I hope she's still doing great. She sat in front of me, and she, and we were learning about the history of Vancouver, and she thought, wow, she said out loud, what a coincidence that Vancouver was founded by a guy named George Vancouver. Who would have thought? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. <sighs> I hope she's doing well. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I do not recommend, though, eating Saskatoons off the vine. They are fucking disgusting. You need to cook those and add a whole bunch of sugar, and jelly is amazing. Don't eat them off the vine. You will forget it. Good call. I'll take your word for it. Uh, you I won't die, though. I'll never go where they come from, so <laughs> I... <laughs> Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another It's a Mimic episode, where we continue our conversation on monsters in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. I'm Adam, and with me today are Megan and Casey, and this episode is called Plants, a Thorn in the Player's Sides. In this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, this panel of dungeon masters is going to branch out and uproot the dirt on some creatures whose bark is as scary as their bite. Pant monsters. <laughs> Pant Pant monsters. <laughs> okay, well, we will be talking about mushrooms. It's a very different thing. Fair enough. Uh, we will be looking at these fun guys and seeing which ones make us as horny as horny can't take you seriously anymore. I want you to know that I, I deleted a thousand pun titles so I could give them all to you, man. I love it. Uh, I'll be looking at these fun guys and seeing which ones make us thorny for more and which ones we think are just stock monsters that we'd rather leave behind. Holy fuck. <laughs> they asked for it. They got it. <laughs> this ranks number three is my favorite like all-time openings after... After you having to sing once and Dave rapping, which was great. Incredible. Good times, good times. Oh, man. I know we're all pining to get started, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> but before we do, let me ask you a question. Do you like plants better as monsters or as environmental threats? That's roll initiative. Good I rolled an eight. Shocking, okay. I'm last. I got an 18. Um, I like them better as environmental monsters. I want them to be, a, I want the environment to feel scary. Mm-hmm. And so I like it when the environment rolls to attack or when you have to save against the environment. These mm-hmm. things are all really interesting and I like the ones that we're covering today. But for the most part, we're covering like societies of plant-based monsters, right? So there's a little bit more to them, but like... The corpse flower and the assassin vine and all that shit. I'm like, you could have just made this environmental things that have an attack. Mm-hmm. And I would have been way happier with that. So, Yeah. I've only ever experienced plant monsters as environmental issues. I've never that's because really... that's how I run them. Right? Yeah. And like even in like previous D&D campaigns, like we have done, we're like, the forest is alive. We're like, the labyrinth, the trees move and like that kind of stuff. So like, they are utilized a lot as environmental. It's all I'm used to. So, but... After, like, reading about these ones, I'm like, that's kind of neat, but I don't know where I would put them into my campaigns. Okay. Well, I I thought of, like, so many ideas after reading this. <laughs> so, and, yeah, I think they're cute. So I would rather see them as monsters that you may encounter. I also like random encounters, and that's where my mind went. Uh, yeah, these would definitely stuff. fit into a random encounter. So I was like, ah, oh, I love that. <laughs> Do you guys remember when I... Gave you veggie pygmies? Yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. I do remember that, yeah. For those of you listening, they were not true veggie pygmies, I just called them that, but they were little little plant creatures named 
Tam, Tam, Tim, Tom, and Tum. Yeah. And they were just happy little gardeners with the satyr. And then an Oni came in and killed four of them. And, and poor Tum was left behind, kind of crying <laughs> quietly in the corner. Yeah. Oh, Tum. Poor Tum. Yeah, I vividly remember that the whole time. I was traumatized. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, before we get any deeper into this, let's cut to a quick ad break. We've previously covered quite a bit in our discussion on monsters in 5th edition. For all those episodes and more, you can follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and dozens of other podcast apps. If you'd like to support us, you can donate through the website, check out our store, or join our Patreon and get access to other episodes and series. If you'd like to pay for some ad space on It's a Mimic, or just send a shout out to a friend, please reach out to us through our email and website that are listed in the show notes below. This is a big week for It's a Mimic, because we released a double feature yesterday. That's one undead episode on the return from Theros. And our resident giant experts sat down to go over what goodies can be found in Bigby Presents Glory of the Giants in the bonus Legend Lore episode we released on the public channels. But also this week we'll be releasing another Undead episode on the public channels, as well as another Legend Lore episode on the Patreon. Patrons can also look forward to a minor special episode as the Legend of the Five Rings series shifts from being bi-weekly to being monthly, and so we've got just a little bonus for the patrons to enjoy Megan and Roman just getting up to shit. Anyway, let's get back to the episode. Alright, so there are a number of different plant monsters that exist out there in D&D. Everything from kind of fey feeling kind of, of like benevolent or at least unaligned tree beard feeling motherfuckers. Down to like flower creatures. All the way down to like, hey, these things are going to eat you. Like the, the man traps from Tomb of Annihilation, which are just Venus fly traps, right? So, Root monsters. Oh, yeah. There's all sorts of crazy plant things out there. A lot of spores and molds and fungi. And and so the ones we're going to talk about today are the three basic societies or like mob monsters, really. This was almost a mob episode that we decided not to do at the last minute. Mm-hmm. Um because lockdown was over and we were coming back, but this was on the. And we're like, board. "Fuck you, mobs! We're done." Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! It was like a year and a half of mobs. <laughs> Jesus, it, and it was brutal because we had to edit all the clips from everybody, and yeah. like, I, I think if Dan hadn't been bald already, he would have been by the end of that. Fair enough. Um, but so we've got blights, myconids, and veggie pygmies today. Mm-hmm. Um, surprisingly, there's a lot about each of them. Yeah. Yes. Which I was. Interested, like when you think about the fourteen different like monster categories of humanoids, giants, dragons, aberrations, plants, oozes, and constructs are the ones that people forget. Mm-hmm. And he, and I find that plants is the one that everyone just kind of like skims over. There's very fucking few of them compared to the rest. So, yeah. So I'm excited to get to these ones. These ones are are going to be pretty fun. So let's roll initiative and see who's going to cover their mob first. <clears throat> I got a 10. I got a 12. I bounced to 17. Great. All right. Take us away, Casey. Oh, boy. We're starting off with veggie pygmies. Okay. So you'll find details in Mordenkainen Presents Monsters of the Multiverse. Where to begin? (laughs) So these are also known as mold folk or moldies, which I am sure they don't prefer. No. (laughs) I couldn't imagine. (laughs) 
Um, but veggie pygmies are fungus creatures. They inhabit dark, moist, warm areas. Great. Don't we all love those areas? Um, and thus are most commonly found underground or in very dense forest. <laughs> we're going to move right along. sort of mold and fungus <laughs> and you're like dark, warm areas. Moist. 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 Don't uh, forget moist. Okay. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. <laughs> Compose yourself, Megan. Moving right along. <laughs> So they are most commonly found underground or in very dense forests where there's little light that gets through to the forest floor. They live a simple life in groups or bands, uh, hunting for food and spreading spores to reproduce. Hey yo. It's what we do. <laughs> it's what we do. <laughs> they get along very well with other plant and fungus creatures, including myconids. Um, shriekers and violet fungi. In fact, it is very common for them to coexist together. Cute for Cute. Now. Mushroom colonies. Yeah. How exciting. <laughs> oh, I love that I'm not on the same page as you guys <laughs> love. I was like, You're like, I love these things. Like, they're gross. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Monsters of the Multiverse gives us a couple photos, but um, not a ton of like specific description, but other lore online does. They are not cute like Mycanids, because I think Mycanids are pretty cute. Uh -huh. <laughs> that that eye roll was epic. <laughs> <laughs> can hear it. Yeah. They are small, lean, but muscular bodies with gray, bluish, or white colored skin, um, especially the ones living underground. And they can also have green or brown colored skin if they are more forest dwellers. Mm. But more focusing more commonly, they're going to look like the underground dwellers. So think a little bit um, albino. Um, they have white lidless eyes with no pupils. And they have no nose. And they have a natural top knot of plant tendrils instead of hair that waves in the wind even if there is no wind. Okay, that's cute. <laughs> What kind of decu nut is this? <laughs> what, what was it called? Pikmin? Yeah, Pikmin. I'm, yeah, I'm getting Pikmin feels. Yeah, yeah. And most notably, they have thorn-like claws, and that's their main weapon. Mm. Other lore also mentions they have a they held a strong reverence for ancient relics and sacred objects, not necessarily extremely valuable or magical but something important to them, and also would worship constructs like golems giving offerings to them. Really? Yeah. That's weird. That's yeah. cute. I'm assuming... I'm assuming... It's, <laughs> I'm going to have Megan convinced that you know. <laughs> it's not, it's not going to be flesh golems, I don't think. <laughs> right? Like, I can see them worshiping like a clay or an iron or a stone yeah, golem. Yeah, a stone but, golem or something. But like flesh golem, probably not. Yeah. Maybe metal once we go into sure. like russet mold history. Um, okay, so veggie Isn't that kind pygmies. of a potato. <laughs> yes, it yes. is. It's always potato day, Megan. Fucking love potato day. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking. Fucking love potato <laughs> day. Oh my potato god. Day. <laughs> veggie pygmies rarely go hungry because they can absorb nutrients from the soil and other organic matter. But they are carnivores. They hunt to eat fresh meat, bone, and blood as a preference. This kind of sounds strange to me, but why would they eat other plant matter? Like, why would a 
plant monster or a fungus creature be vegetarian? No, they wouldn't eat their own kind. It just seems weird. It's someone that to... enjoys a good chicken burger. <laughs> I I could see them eating other plants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not as. <laughs> yeah, it's just like. I don't know, just seeing this little, like, fungus creature go into town on a dead rabbit kind of freaks me out. But that's that. Amen. Um, You also won't find them with elaborate weapons. They have either picked it up off of a dead body or they've tried to just duplicate a really simple weapon. They are not very intelligent or crafty. They can communicate, but not in a language. It... Some lore says that probably a long time ago they did understand a language and could communicate that way, but now they communicate with variations of hissing, grunting, hand gestures, <laughs> and like tappy taps. Oh, they, they, this they, is Groot. <laughs> they feel like, yeah. like the pygmies from, from The Mummy Returns. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> we just talked about this. <laughs> so where did they come from? It's said that they originate from the remains left behind when a humanoid or giant is killed by russet mold. And I will cover russet mold in a moment. One or multiple veggie pygmies emerge from the corpse a a day after it has died. Cool. Yeah. Uh, So russet mold. This is a mold found in, Megan, dark, warm, and wet areas. Makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there are very there are a few different discovery stories of russet mold. I'll cover a couple of them. Uh, first, russet mold and veggie pygmies were discovered by a group of adventurers in a mountain range exploring a metal dungeon full of other strange creatures and life forms, and they existed there. Second, explorers found russet mold in the crater of a fallen star, and then found veggie pygmies inhabiting the neighboring forest. Mm. Russet mold is nasty. Um, It can be mistaken for rust since it generally spreads across metal objects, and where there is mold, there are spores. So coming within five feet of russet mold results in a con save. On a failed save, the creature is poisoned and will take 7d6 poison damage at the start of each of its turns until it can make the save at the end of its turn or have an effect um, used to cure or neutralize the poison. So it's pretty harsh. If it's reduced to zero hit points, the creature dies, and if it's a humanoid beast or giant, veggie pygmies emerge from the body a day later. And the number of veggie pygmies is scaled to the size of the creature. Makes sense. So a small creature will have one veggie pygmy emerge from its corpse, Mm. and it scales up to gargantuan, having 16 pop out. Don't you love it? Cool. Ew. Cool. Uh, You you lost me. I no longer think this is cute. (laughs) I know, I know. You basically just described a spider sack. (laughs) Yeah. And it's a body, like a corpse. Yeah, no thanks. Yeah. I'm thinking like the back of the gremlins when they multiply. When they yes, multiply. I absolutely yeah. thought of that. You, uh... Yeah, it's not good. Um, like most molds, <laughs> they are hard to kill or get rid of. However, a few options are available. A pound of salt, a gallon of alcohol, or magic that cures disease can kill a 10 square foot area of russet mold. Very specific. <laughs> um... 
That it, your paladin's going to be good with lay on hands because that can cure a disease. Yeah. So that'll work. Um, yes, and if you can do an, an attack that has acid, necrotic, or radiant damage, it will kill one square foot of russet mold per one damage dealt. So there's very specific rules around this. Um, and sunlight will also kill it, hence why it's usually in dark dungeons or somewhere light cannot penetrate. Okay, back to veggie pygmies. Looking more broadly at their stat block, these are a CR of one quarter and have an average or below average stats, except for dexterity uh, at plus two. They have dark vision, 60 feet, and will attack with claws, and they also have a sling for ranged attacks. See? I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and I imagine it's the one it's similar to the one in um the Dungeons and Dragons movie where it's like attached to their arm. So they have just like little pebbles that they like sling back. <laughs> I like to think of them as, as, as it's spores they're hitting you with with the sling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um and interestingly, they have damage resistance to lightning and piercing. And this is actually explained better with lore online versus in the book. Um, it states that veggie pygmies have great resistance to electrocution because currents run through them and then into the earth. They're grounded. I get right? it. I get it. Uh. And then, <laughs> see, cute. We're back to cute. Oh, God. And their plant-like <laughs> physiology gives them resistance and resilience to piercing attacks. Um, they have two other unique abilities, one called plant camouflage, which gives it advantage on stealth checks. And regeneration, which means the veggie pygmy regains three hit points at the start of its turn. This doesn't actually work if and only if it takes cold, fire, and necrotic damage. So it makes them a little bit harder to kill, but these are pretty squishy overall. What, what are their, their... they were vulnerable to, to, you said, radiant, necrotic, and something else. Um... The russet mold. It's a russet mold. That, is okay. yeah. You can use acid, necrotic, and radiant damage okay, to but kill the, that. But the veggie pygmies are cold, necrotic, and fire. Fire. Okay. Yeah, plants. I would assume that fire would be really effective against mold, but I guess not. I guess not. <laughs> All right. Sun instead. Sunshine. It's rare that you see something that's vulnerable to both. Radiant and necrotic. Normally, they're treated as opposites in D and D. So yeah. It's, it's oh yeah. Neat. One or the other kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. But I mean, it makes sense. You're killing them all, or it's in sunlight. Like I get it. It's just a little odd. Yeah. Interesting. There you go. All right. So there are a few variations to veggie pygmies. Looking into other additions, it does seem that these more came about in fifth edition versus other editions. The maybe expanded it a bit. Yeah. So the first one is the Veggie Pygmy Chief. And this is basically just an older Veggie Pygmy. It ha it didn't die young. Yeah, old. Yeah. <laughs> it got old, and so it developed a harder outer spore cluster sh um, shell on its body, and it now has the, the ability to spray spores in an attack. What? Keep Keep going. <laughs> I already hate this episode. <laughs> Keep going. This one, this one. So once per day, a 15-foot radius cloud extends out from it, and each creature in that area must succeed on a DC-12 con save or be poisoned. Now, here the poisoning is slightly less than the russet mold, 
They take 2d8 poison damage on a fail at the start of each of its turns, and it can repeat the saving throw at the end of each turn to end the effect. If the creature dies from this poison, veggie pygmies will emerge from the corpse 24 hours later. So it has that ability. Mm -hmm. Cool. The regular veggie pygmies don't necessarily, though I also... So it's like, I'm older now, my cluster's harder, so we can procreate? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. They are a little, <laughs> a little beefier, um because their stats have increased to slightly above average. <laughs> My to, God. Just slightly above I average. I did not see this coming. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the problem, Kate. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> God damn. Which bumps them to a CR of two versus a CR of one quarter. So they are a bit more challenging. And they have multi-attack. And carry Great. a spear <laughs> instead of having a sling. Mm -hmm. Is their spear slightly above average too? I want to. I say mean, it would have to be. It is. <laughs> it's, it's gonna be a long it's night. It's like you're compensating for something. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and that that is it. That that is the veggie pygmy chief. You did and... it. <laughs> but wait, there's but wait. more. There's the thorny veggie pygmy next, aka ribbed. <laughs> For whose pleasure? God damn it! I can't. I can't. I'm setting my book. Nobody down. saw the wide-eyed excitement that Megan. She looked me square in the eye and screamed, "Ribbed!" <laughs> Ridge or rib, don't we, Megan? Do we? I mean, <laughs> I mean, whatever you're into, my guy. Hello, <laughs> floor. Oh my god! All right. Okay, so, let's get through this shit. <laughs> this won't get better. Talk to me about the thorny one. Okay, so the thorny veggie pygmy is also known as thornies. Which also, Fuck. I don't think they would enjoy being called that. In, in um. The Volo's Guide to Monsters, where these guys showed up originally, they were just called Thornies. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, these are definitely more and most interesting. Um, they, they emerge from a beast when it is killed by russet mold, such as a dog or a bear. Okay. And these veggie pygmies walk on all fours and are beast-like. Their bodies are covered in thorns, and they are stronger and tougher, and are slightly larger than the veggie pygmies or the chiefs. They are also more ferocious. Uh, they, I feel like they harness some of that beast quality from the corpse. Um, they have lower intelligence, and thus end up at a lower CR than the chief at a CR of 1. So they fall into the middle. In addition to the plant camouflage and regeneration abilities like the base veggie pygmy, they have thorny body. Great. Where they will deal... It'll get better, Megan. Oh, gosh. They will deal 1d4 <laughs> piercing damage to mm. any creature grappling it at the start of ah! the turn. <laughs> so don't try and hug it. It won't like it and neither will you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... Like, kind of disappointingly, but yeah, I get it. Um, they only have a bite attack. 
Good. So, yeah. I mean, sometimes that's all you need. <laughs> and there, I, I am. I am officially done. Wow. Let's, let's roll dice on this You're shit. You're welcome. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> all right, I got a thirteen. I'm a nine, and Kate's going last. Okay. All right, so Megan. Yeah. Do you have any idea about where you would run into these guys in like a storyline or a plot? One shot quest. What do you got here? I think that like it, to the yeah. To the point earlier in the episode, we talked about how these would be a good, like, random encounter. Yeah. Interesting. However, if you just wanted to, like, put them into, like, your campaign as, like, a side quest episode, this is kind of your classic. You walk up, like, because they, like, meet, like, the animals are starting to disappear, mm. like, the wildlife is starting to dissipate, like, what's going on, and, like, they're finding that, like, their, like, farming equipment is starting to get rusted, or what have you, and then you walk up with your paladin or your cleric and their full plate armor, and their armor starts to rust. Yeah. And, like, mm. that can kind of be, like, your invest, like, your, you know investigation process and then you find out that they start sporings and things happen and then they have to go and find like the actual main group and like light them on fire i'm sorry or what was it douse them in alcohol is that what we have to do the recipe mold yes or yeah. salt or salt, or salt. A, literally a pound of salt yeah per 10 foot 10 foot square, square yeah. yeah fair enough but i think that's like an easy way to kind of like implement them especially if you're traveling through forests for extended periods of time or um, you're coming up to farmland or something like that. Like they would definitely exist. I, again, I feel like the most interesting part of them about this is that they eat meat, so mm -hmm. they would have a reason to come and take your cattle. They would have a reason to come and start like taking like whatever your families are eating, right? So for me, I've got a bit of an issue with the fact that they eat meat, but they're leaving corpses behind. They'll eat meat and bone and blood. Like what else is left? What are the yeah. other veggie pygmies coming out of? Right. So. My idea is rust monsters exist, and they are terrifying and horrible because they turn all your metal shit to rust. Mm -hmm. But what if that rust was russet mold? What if mm. you just thought it was rust? And I'll take it back to town so that hopefully my breastplate is good, can get repaired by that note, and then it sprouts veggie pygmy in the middle of the night. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So you're on watch, and the pile of rusted shit, the rust monster just did a little bit of damage to everything, but it just keeps spreading and spreading, and then suddenly... Veggie pygmies. So, I also like the idea of, like, the thornies coming out of beasts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would like there to be a flyer version of it as well. Yeah. Like, where there's a bird that gets killed by it, and then, like, a veggie pygmy that can fly with, like, the wings, kind of. Why not, my guy? Like, yeah. I feel like that can absolutely happen. I would just, honestly, I would add a fly speed to the thorny and just let it do its thing. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah, that's cool. That's frightening, though. Yeah, it is, absolutely. But, I mean, if Tremors taught us anything, it's that you can just keep upgrading yeah. Different kinds of weird shit. Sky is literally the limit. Um, it's interesting, though, too, because, like, it says giants, beasts, and humanoids, right? Mm-hmm. So, would you have all of them, if, like, if they come out of a, a frost giant, would they look different than they would coming out of, like, a hill giant? I want to say they do, because if they specifically say that, like, thornies come yeah. out of the beasts, they kind of have that... They same... take on some of the traits and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, and then yeah. the other ones are humanoids, like, they're bipedal, like... What they would be. So, I want to say yes. I, and I like the idea, too. Like, if it's a dwarf that died, then they come up with these, like, these thorny <laughs> beards on the front of them. Or, like, if it's a Goliath, they're actually pretty smooth comparatively. Like, you yeah. could have the really the idea of, of the whatever the creature was that died. Yeah. Unless they are an autonome plasmoid or, what was the other one? Thrycrene. The, oh, and Fae don't count. So all the pixies and, or fairies and herringons and shit that aren't... God, big sigh, big sigh. Yeah. Treat them all as humanoids. Let the, let the mold hit. Yeah. So, 
What do you got, Casey? Yeah, and maybe it's all about size, because I, I did probably Not even touching it. No, no we're just mention... moving. <laughs> Jesus fuck. They are small in size. <laughs> Terms of comparison to the average size. <laughs> Fuck, never mind. Um, size matters. Go on. Yeah. Um. So yes, I would say an amazing random encounter opportunity with these, and I was also inspired by the little tidbits about their like culture and history. Mm. Like it could be an absolutely unexciting item that you have to go get from. The veggie pygmies that they are, like, they've stolen from the neighboring, like, farm. Mm-hmm. They, I want to say they would steal uh, the child's teddy bear or something from mm-hmm. their bed. And then they're, they're worshipping this thing, but it was a prized thing and it's really important. And then you have to go find this from the fucking veggie fit pygmies. That might be like a, like a, a reason to go out to the forest. Like they like say the kid went out in the forest, played in the forest, but they left the bear in the forest. Right. Yeah. Came home. was like, Oh mom, I left my bear in the forest. And like, okay, well let's go on this fucking fetch quest. Let's go do it. And then it's not where it's being said. worshipped by this group. Of- <laughs> yeah. They have like made this like fire and they have it on a big thing and they're doing a dance around the fire and it's like super cute and um, also cute. terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> um, any ideas about role playing for DMs or, or social encounters that you might use for these guys? Well, I mean, if DMing them as like as they are, they can't speak, right? Mm-hmm. They just make noises. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're not going to communicate well and I don't think they really want to. They know what their goal is. They don't really care what your goal is. So they're going to do what they want to do no matter what your group says to them. So if you have that one charismatic like charismatic player who's like going to try and figure out how to communicate with these, even if you can suddenly speak to animals or do something where you get a conversation going somehow, they're going to be like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I would let speak with plants work on this. Yeah. And, like, they can understand furbolgs, because furbolg, as Dan reminds me, every fucking Every session. two seconds. Yeah. They they can talk to plants, but they don't understand plants. Yeah. So. But even if you can have that conversation, again, I don't think they would have any motivation to listen to what you're saying. I don't think they would negotiate, really. Unless, my suggestion is, you got a warforge or an autonome in the party, at which point they probably just follow your player oh around. Oh, my God. Watch your worshiping. armor. Yeah. You know, yeah. just worshipping them. <laughs> Right, Aww. and just like you have a little, like like two D four veggie pygmies always following you around, and like when you sit down at the end of the day by the campfire, they come over and just like huddle around you and just like stare at you. Yeah. And if anybody to, like, else comes close, they bite the fucking ankles <laughs> and trying to get like yeah, yeah. It's so cute. Yeah. yeah, I love it. Oh my god. Yeah, it is one of those rare moments where a DM can't use their words. Um, and I think it could be really hilarious to try and do gestures and hissing sounds and stuff and really just probably piss off the party trying to decipher what you're, what they're trying to say. You want that one player to hiss back and then to be like, I'm actually very offended. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have no idea what you said, but it was wrong. Right? <laughs> yeah. And I imagine if you're trying or, or to Or the exact like... opposite. You're married now. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, exactly. Just so much fuckery going mm-hmm. on there. Mm-hmm. And it's probably like herding sheep if you're trying, like, if they're, because there's always going to be a bunch of them. Yeah. So, like, trying to navigate 
and like usher them and stuff like I feel like they'll just be like freaking out <laughs> and probably like still slinging some like stones at you and different things at you and hissing at you and you're just like shut up just go what's really interesting is they don't pair up or get in a group to procreate at all nope so they move in a group they act as as allies and friends but there's no like there's no coupling there's no family structure no. or anything there, no there's just really like the chiefs yeah. and it's just you got older and so now you are more like more of a leader and that's yeah. it otherwise it's just yeah even playing field hmm. but also that's another thing that would be interesting to play is like if you're dming a group of these remembering that if you kill one of its spore buddies, it's like, cool, don't really care. Like, yeah. Because they're like, it's not like they grew up together and played baseball together, you know what I mean? Like, they just, yeah. they live for a purpose, and then if they die, they die. We came from the same hill giant. We, came, we, have, like, <laughs> we have a bond. Um, Maybe they do. <laughs> you know what, Casey, you can write it that way. <laughs> All right, what do, we, what do we get when we look to the environment around these guys for... Well, kind of as I mentioned earlier, I feel like you're going to start seeing some of the, the smaller critters go missing. Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to start seeing that there's less squirrels, there's less birds, there's less, like, just smaller animals and smaller creatures. And then that's suddenly going to start to increase. <laughs> like, suddenly, like, you will have, like, your, your cats go missing, all of the, your dogs go missing. And then it's just, and the creatures cattle. are getting larger yeah. and then cattle. And then, <laughs> so it's going to be a process. So, like, even if your team is now used to this thing, you get to a town and you'll be like, hey... Like, they're like, yeah, we have an issue with, like, some of our, like, you know, our wildlife is going missing. Okay, well, what wildlife step are you at? Because that'll tell mm-hmm. me how big of a problem we have. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, like, we've got a couple cattle going missing. Shit. It's like, okay, we're talking, like, a hundred plus veggie pygmies. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> Whereas, like, if they're like, oh, well, we just noticed that there's not a lot of birds in the sky lately or whatever, but it might be the off season. And they're like, no, we can probably handle this internally. We don't yeah. need to call. <laughs> we don't need to call the Ghostbusters for this. Like, yeah. we'll be okay. But uh, other than that, then just kind of like your common, like, obviously they attack metal. So, like, I feel like you're going to start losing, like, your metal materials. Your your blacksmith is going to be like, why is my place being raided all the time? Who's taking my metal? Mm. Like. <laughs> so, I was thinking about civilization, kind of like the outskirts. We always think, okay, so the rural, the farmland, and whatnot. But it's right in the name of the game, literal fucking dungeons. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean the abandoned ones that we go plunder for loot and kill monsters. But the jail beneath the palace that is well guarded but poorly tended. And yeah. it's dirty and dank. And there's metal bars everywhere and yep. metal chains. And people are left and forgotten down there. So like the prisoner population just starts to dwindle. And nobody really notices for a while mm-hmm. until you go down. Like on level five of the dungeon, you you realize that there's mold growing across all of the walls, mm-hmm. and there are you know there's a huge pile of mold and no metal doorway to this cell because the whole doorway is as rusted and med- and is now veggie pigs and they are all hiding in the dark waiting for you. Yeah. Right, and because yeah. they can blend in with plants and stuff. It just looks like there's like a wall of, of shrubbery at the end of the dungeon, and no, it's ninety of these fucking yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I love that. I was I had made a note about um, coming across corpses or creatures that look like they have died, don't know when, but then there's these like holes mm-hmm. in their torso 
and you don't can't really tell exactly what happened, but it's like something. Like what it looks like something this, emerged yeah. from this. You could easily do that with prisoners. Yeah. Like the bodies that are dead in the cells, and it's like we have this unexplained like disease or something, and there's these holes, and the bigger creatures have more holes because more veggie pygmies would emerge from them, and it's kind of slowly like leaching its way further through. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, I like that. That's fun. Um, <laughs> Dark and fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, any strategies for these guys, Megan, for when it comes to fighting? Uh, yes and no. So, like, when I first think of these kinds of things, I would think of ways to tactically exterminate them. However, comma, I would want to use them in warfare. Go in a battle with someone? <laughs> send in a cattle filled with this, filled with this shit, right? <laughs> Like, send in the Trojan horse and, like, take out an army by having them, like, meld away all their metal with, like, russet mold and then take out an entire army. That's diabolical and wonderful. Right? Like, in the night. Yep. And then the enemy wakes up, and behind the lines, there are veggie pygmies, like, within the fort, attacking people in their beds and yep. shit. Like, that's fun. <laughs> so fun. Oh, you wake up, and your partner's belly is, like, moving, and it's like, what the hell is going on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> pop, pop. I, I, <laughs> all right, magnitude, calm down. So, um, I have a question. How many veggie pygmies would it take to kill a dragon, because dragons have hordes of metal? Mm. Oh, wow. Because Fizzbands told us that dragons have multiple hordes littered around the area. Yeah. And their power comes from having bigger and bigger hordes. So, in theory, if there's one horde that they haven't been to in a long time... It could just be covered. It could be covered in them, and they're slowly feeling weaker, and they're like, why am I getting weaker? I better go check the hordes. And it's the last one they get to, and there's a thousand veggie pigments, like yeah. a colony. Because they're just, mm-hmm. like, hauling... Like creature, dead creatures in, yeah. like over and over again. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and they would look at a dragon and say, "That's a fucking feast." Yeah, right. We Ooh. could we could do this. Om nom. Yeah. And then you get a, a dragon veggie pygmy. <laughs> oh my oh, god, that is There you go. No. And they have um, they have spore breath. That's really cool. Uh, the deep dragons have spore breath. So you could uh, use those for the... Here yeah. you go. We um, created something here today, folks. Yay. Um, no, on, obviously these guys are... They're ambush, right? That's the thing. is they, Because they blend in, yeah. and because they're relatively weak and they travel in packs, they're ambush fighters. Um, they probably do still want to live another day. So if enough of them die, they will pull back and retreat. But you are still food. They might come back later. And they may not come back for you. They may come back for your mounts or your pets or something else, because... Mm-hmm. They're small. Yeah. They don't need a whole lot. They don't need to kill in a whole adventuring party. They just need the halfling. Yeah. And I think they will be um, strategic in the sense that they will come and go without you realizing they were even there. Because mm-hmm. that's what they... That's their jam. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also like the idea of if you were... If they... If you were threatening enough and they decided, okay, we're going to battle... They would be just chaotic and hilarious. Like, they would come running at you with, like, these, like, tiny battle cries and hissing sounds, and you'd be like, holy shit, but they'd only come up to, like, your knee. So you're, like, laughing at it, and then all of a sudden it just wreaks and fucking <laughs> havoc. Yeah. yeah, and I think it would just be wild to have, you know, a wave, like, say, hundreds. Suddenly, you you wronged. You fucked up the wrong metal for them, and they're just like, oh, fuck. And they're just, like, coming at you, and you just see the ground moving. 
Okay, so it just occurred to me that trolls are giant type. But trolls regenerate. So the veggie pygmies could follow trolls around because mold and swamps, like it can all go together. They would follow trolls around, eating off the trolls. And consistent, like lopping off a limb, turning it to mold, growing more of it, and keeping the troll alive to regenerate. Ew. Oh, so God. they So they would be able to just have an infinite source of procreation and food. And are, are trolls so large or huge? <clears throat> large size or huge? Uh, trolls are, I think it depends which troll. I want to say large, but I think maybe the dire troll is huge. Well, large produces um, four veggie pygmies, and a huge does eight. There we go. So, so. every day, every twenty-four hours, just churning out. <laughs> Ew! I already hate it. <sighs> Delightful. All right, who was going next? Do you remember Megan? I think it was you. It was me next. Yeah. All right. So I had I got blights, and I like I never really thought about blights before. I always just flipped past them in the monster manual. Yeah. Um, but I am low-key stoked, and I should have been using them all of the fucking time in the last campaign. Mm -hmm. So, blights are plants that have been awakened, which means they've got the ability to move and to think very limited thoughts because they've got a very low intelligence score. So, Um, They're vaguely humanoid in shape, but they keep the colors and feel of their original plant form. So, if they're viney, they they have, like, cords of vines that wrap around them that make up their their, um, bodies. If they're, like, made from the needles of, of, like, pine trees and stuff. Then they've got little needles growing off of them all over. So, like, you very much get the idea of, based on the type of um, blight, what their their physical appearance should look like. Mm -hmm. But they're not neutral, like you would expect a lot of plant monsters to be. They're absolutely evil, according to the Monster Manual. Mm -hmm. Um, According to myth, there was a vampire named Golthias who was a powerful spellcaster. I'm going to skip over this. Even the Monster Manual doesn't get into it, but vampire shit. I'm assuming that this was like a first edition or second edition adventure that had to do with with the monster, or with Golthias. Anyway, he got staked, uh, but he was a really nasty spellcaster, really horrible vampire. Um, and the interesting part here is that the wooden stake that was finally plunged into his heart was infused with the dark magic in his blood and eventually sprouted new growth, uh, slowly becoming a new tree that was bursting with evil intention, whatever that means. I don't know that trees can have intention, but there we go. <laughs> One day, some insane druid, who is also fucking unnamed, just like the hero, the plunge estate, like all this is very vague, but legends say a mad mm-hmm. druid found the tree, realized its potential, and transplanted it. Which is fucking weird because in D&D if you pull the stake out of a vampire that hasn't been hit by sunlight, the vampire just comes back. So I feel like Golthias is still out there somewhere being a dick. Because mm-hmm. some druid's like, hey, cool evil tree, I'll take that. <laughs> I'll um, take two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, this new evil tree produced seeds and apparently that's the origin story of blights. Now it's said that blights inhabit evil lands that have been tainted or contaminated with darkness. So we've added taint to this episode as well yeah. now. Yeah. Okay. I was trying not to say anything. <laughs> it's best to just look it in the eye and then move past it. Yeah. Also. God damn it. <laughs> I didn't say a damn thing. <clears throat> also, uh, these things um, came into being, or since these things came into being, it said that um, any other plant or tree after the Galthias one existed 
that has been tainted by dark power or an evil mind or whatever it is will have, will potentially sprout these blights. So it doesn't have to be the one tree anymore. It could just be like any evil tree. Again, didn't know trees could be evil. Um, when it happens, blights spring forth within a few days and they destroy all normal and healthy plants to make room for new evil plants. Again, <laughs> evil plants. This plant life, because it, it's not creatures, it is specifically evil plants. So like that very pissed off daffodil. Yeah. Um, this plant life can spread through buildings at supernatural speeds, which is not to say that it's like within seconds, but it'll take over a building in a matter of hours or days. Yeah. Um, it'll even swallow villages within a week. Humanoids often flee when this begins to happen because there's just no knocking it back. It's too late. Yeah. yeah. Now, while it does say that blights are intelligent and independent, it also says that they're controlled by the will of the tree or plant that spawned them. So again, the... Evil trees. Evil tree. All right. So moving on to the actual blights themselves. We have five. The Monster Manual gives us three kinds of blights. Twig, needle, and vine. Twig blights are small sized. They resemble small, dead bushes when there isn't any food around. In fact, they're indistinguishable from bushes when first encountered. That's hard baked into their stats. Yeah. Uh, they like to exist on the outskirts of civilization, posting up at watering holes, waypoints, and campsites, waiting to ambush Get it? Unsuspecting yeah. travelers. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they usually come in groups, and they like to blend with the local foliage, or even among wood piles of firewood. So, they're just around waiting for you to come to them. Uh, they understand common, but they can't speak it. They've got blind sight up to 60 feet, but they don't know what's beyond that range, and they're immune to being blinded or deafened, because they don't really have eyes or ears. Mm-hmm. By themselves, they're easy to kill with one kind of average attack, they're pretty slow, and they do pitiful amounts of damage. Add to that their vulnerability to fire damage, which means fire does twice as much, and everybody's wielding fire at low level. Um, These things are purely a tier one monster, and their CR of one-eighth reflects that. Even as a mob, these things don't matter outside tier one. You're just going to generally annoy your players with it. And soak up good encounter time and session time. Yeah. Uh, unless you're trying to take out pets or mounts or something. Yeah. Right? Or the poor goblin NPC. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, um, but that brings us to needle blights. Needle blights are CR one quarter, so twice as good as a twig blight. They're very similar mechanically to twig blights, and all of their stats and math are essentially the same, or they get a little boost like you would expect because they're twice as tough. Mm-hmm. Um, they're medium creatures now. They move an average humanoid speed now, and they no longer suffer from that pesky vulnerability to fire. The other notable difference is that they have traded their false appearance for a 30-foot ranged attack that does 2d6 plus 1 piercing damage when it shoots little needles at you. Oh, nice. So, they normally stick to the deepest and darkest parts of the forest and resemble hunched-over humanoids until you get close. Then you can see that they're covered in needles and spines that they launch at people, so you're like, hey... What are you doing out here by yourself? And then they fucking get you. Um, also, there's no mechanic for it, but it says right in the lore that um, upon encountering other people, they release spores into the air, and all of the other needle blights in the forest, all of them in the forest, become aware of the presence of the interlopers and converge on their location. Ooh, that's cool. And Creepy. Like, yeah. Yeah, really like that. There's no mechanic at all for how long that takes or anything. It's just like, 
they they send up the flag and suddenly everything starts coming to life. Yeah. Um, my favorite piece of evocative writing in the monster manual so far out of every monster is in the needle blights, which says, alerted to their foe's location, needle blights converge from all sides to drench their roots in blood. Amazing. Wow. Yeah, like I'm like <laughs> Wow. A- apparently the writers got real inspired by needle blights. <laughs> That's like the most, that's the most goth metal shit I've ever heard in my life. For the CR1 quarter plant monster. Yeah. (laughs) Um, For Vine Blights, the last entry from the monster manual says that they're CR1 half and have the appropriate numbers to their stats. Again, little bump up. These blights look like creeping vines in the undergrowth of the forest and use their entangling plants ability before they even make themselves known. What that means is that with an ability that recharges on a five or six, all of the roots and vines uh, in a uh, 15-foot radius around the vine blight comes alive and grabs at creatures. So it has false appearance again, so you don't know it's there, and suddenly in a 30-foot diameter, boof, everything comes and grapples, um, which I know you love, yeah. Megan. So it's my favorite. <laughs> everything is difficult terrain for non-plants, and any creature the blight chooses has to make a DC 12, so not too bad, but we're tier 1, so maybe strength save, or become restrained. It takes an action on subsequent turns to try to repeat the save. And the terrain does this for a full minute. It doesn't require concentration because it's not a spell, and it will probably recharge that five or six before the minute is over, so this just activates and keeps going until you can find the vine blight, which is imperceptible. Mm -hmm. Other than that, the only noteworthy things about the vine blights are that their main attack has a 10-foot reach and constricts one target at a time, doing 2d6 plus 2 bludgeoning damage to the restricting uh, victim. Um, oh, and they can talk now, but it's usually limited to like, the rhetoric of whatever their master is. So whatever dark power imbued the tree that made the blights, whatever, <laughs> if, they were, if they were some sort of like evil lich, which is like, you will all fall to my power, that's the kind of shit that they will say in kind of the same voice. Right, so that they just kind of spew the same nonsense of that dark, evil, power-ish thing. Mm. So, then we get Curse of Strahd, which gave us tree blights. We up the fucking ante now to uh, CR7. Wow, that was a jump. Yeah, we also jump over the large size category, and we go to huge. Great. Uh, these things look like a dead tree or treant. Instead of sap, it has blood, and there's so much blood within it that it doesn't catch fire too easily. Indy loves a bloody tree. <laughs> <laughs> its wood is spongy like rotten wood is, and it has a mouth full of actual teeth, which is just gross for some reason. Wow. Now, this one doesn't speak common anymore, but it does understand it and druidic. Regardless, it's not very social. While it will ally itself with other kinds of blights, tree blights all hate each other, and they all hate treants just as much as treants hate that. <laughs> So the idea here is that they're going to team up with all the other blights and you're going to have this walking plant army, but there will only be one. There's the one big boss and that's the tree blight. Yeah. Um, so the math and numbers all jump way, way, way up and it gets the tag siege monster. So it does double damage to objects and structures. As for attacks, it uses its multi-attack to attack with branches twice, try to grapple with its roots twice. And if it has someone grappled, it can then use a bonus action to bite. Oh, and it has 15 foot reach on all that shit. Holy fuck. Amazing. And then we get a weird one. The last kind of blights we get in 5th edition, so far anyway, are the relatively new Astral Blights from the Spelljammer adventure. Spelljammer (laughs) is is broken up into three books in the box set, 
One of them is a bestiary, one of them is the adventure, and one of them is just kind of the rules of Spelljammer um, and like the campaign setting. It's not in the bestiary. It is only in the adventure on mm. like just a sidebar that, hey, also these guys. So the basic idea here is that seeds fell from space and then a short while later, crystalline vines 50 feet wide burst upward from the impact sites and started causing minor earthquakes. Around these massive vines, smaller vines burst out and became CR1 astral blights, which and they show up kind of just as the players show up. Astral blights are resistant to cold and radiant damage, which seems like an odd fucking combo, but space, like starlight and cold, so I guess yeah. that makes sense. They are the only ones that aren't evil and they ignore the players unless they're attacked. For the most part, they just harass the commoners. Mm -hmm. It actually says in the adventure to leave the players alone unless they attack the Astral Blights or they spend more than one minute in an area, at which point the Astral Blights notice them and start moving over to them. But they've got a 10-foot movement speed, which means your players just walk around them. Like, these are not really a threat. They're not going to chase you. No. <laughs> um, they don't need to sleep or breathe because space... And they shed 10 feet of dim light as long as they haven't been reduced to zero hit points. Because space, I guess. Amazing. Um, and their multi-attack is just a double attack of their heat-draining vine, which 10-foot reach, does minor radiant damage, and grapples. And if the creature's still grappled at the beginning of their turn, they take 1d6 cold damage as well. Mm -hmm. And that's it. So they're like really strange space plant monsters, which... Feels odd, and I wouldn't put with the others mm. necessarily. It could have been anything else. Why did they pick a plant to do that? You know, <laughs> well, I think spell that, jammer. That's yeah, why. I think that a lot about spell jammer. You could have done anything, but here we are with colonial hippos and plasmoids. <laughs> like let's and hamsters. Yeah. Oh, there are giant space hamsters. You yeah. guys know you. We did talked about giant space hamsters. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's all we got for blights. Let's roll dice. I stole someone's dice. You dad. took my dice. It's okay. Black is my favorite color. 17 for me. No. I'm second. All right. Megan, do you have any ideas about storylines that you would have for these guys or quests? Or when would you show up in your campaign? This is a druid's quest <laughs> who fucked up at one point. <laughs> Sure, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, like, they just, like, were dabbling in their magics a little bit too hard one time. Or, like, found a plant that was like, this is different. I've never seen this before. And starts traveling around with it. And then all of a sudden, more shit happens. And, like, mm -hmm. in my mind, in the future, this would be where your party would encounter it. Is this is, like, years in the future where now there's this giant forest that has sprouted that everyone is afraid of and you're not supposed to go into it. And at the center is this like druid character. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, you don't go in the forest. In fact, like they've built a wall around it and you don't go into this forest. Like it's off limits. And then of course someone's kid runs in there one day. Of course. And then you as adventure party have to go in and you hear the stories and haunts of this druid and what their history was and stuff like that. And you actually learn that they're not evil, but inherently because of the plants they cultivated are now evil mm -hmm. if that makes sense so yeah that was my theory casey yeah that's a good one i like it yeah um you could use the the needle blights 
for a spin on a holiday one shot, like a, a Christmas, oh, Christmas? Tree. Christmas trees. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Haunted yeah. Christmas tree forest. Yeah. Do you like my decorations? Yeah. Have you ever seen that animation? Oh God. <laughs> Someone on the internet's going to recognize that. I'm going to be so happy when they do. But yeah, it's like, come on kids, let's go into the forest this year and cut our own Christmas tree. <laughs> Bad idea. Oh. Bad idea. But that's yeah. a great way to start it, though. Like, holy shit. Yeah. That'd be interesting. You've got all the little Charlie Brown ones, which are the needle blights, and then, like, in the middle is the fucking tree blight. <laughs> but that's the thing, because as soon as you chop it or take an attack on it and start taking it out of the forest, the whole forest is actually right? these trees. And then you take it back to your home, and now you have this onslaught <gasps> of Christmas trees coming at your town. Yeah. Oh my god, so oh, good. Also, if if all of your blights are not, oh, maybe not the twig blights because they're vulnerable to fire, the rest of them should be full of blood, right? Like, mm -hmm. you hit them and they bleed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You go to chop down a tree and it's a tree blight and it's like, well, it's bleeding now. Roll initiative. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Um, my big thing about this is that it's all about the contaminated lands. Yeah. All dark forests and everything. You guys were in dark jungles and shit for the last, like, entire campaign. Yeah. That was contaminated by evil, and there was there was no happiness anywhere to be found anywhere in that campaign. But this is also every single one of the, um, the dread domains from Ravenloft. Yeah. Right? And the Shadowfell. If you're walking around in the forest there, which you should not do, like... Yeah. This, so good. These things should be... Numbers one through five on your D20 random table, right? Yeah. Like, there's a lot of opportunities to have these guys show up and just fuck about. Mm -hmm. So I really, really should have been using them up until now. Mm -hmm. And I really like them. And clearly we know in our campaign, you guys are heading back to that area. And you know that between your two dead characters who have been fucking about for the last 17 years, there will have been some contamination. So excited. Oh, boy. I'm excited for okay. past us, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm also scared. Yeah, I'm not excited for future us, so I'm excited for past <laughs> us. <laughs> the glory. Any idea about social encounters with these guys? Uh, well, you said they can understand what you're saying, but they just can't talk back at you, Except right? for the vine blights, which can reiterate the rhetoric of their masters. Oh, man, can you imagine just a fucking viney thing chatting at you? It's creepy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I feel like if you are going to try and be social with them and they like as a DM and utilize them, I still wouldn't make them talk in any way, shape or form. I don't think they would have any interest in talking to you. You, it would, this would be an environmental thing. You describe the movement of the trees, the fact that they're bleeding. Um, if you're using the one with the mouth, it's just gritting its teeth at you. Right. Like those mm -hmm. kinds of pieces. Um, but a part of like how you would encounter one of them do you remember, wherever you were like kids and you were running through like a field and all of a sudden you get like the, the spike at the back of your leg because you ran through one of those like weird weeds that yeah. shoots it's like yeah. needles at you? <laughs> That's what I'm thinking of almost with these ones is that they're like, they wait until you are like running through and then all of a sudden you get spores in the back of your legs, right? Well, it's interesting because there are two different kinds of blights. I mean, there's five different kinds, but there's yeah. the ones that sit in ambush and then there's the ones that are just on full blown attack mode all of the time, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. But, like, I also like the idea that, like, your town is aware of, like, all the different kinds of spores and what they look like because, like, 
you don't want to contaminate your town because then it will be overrun and it will be too late. Mm-hmm. And like you're running through a field, you get a spore on the back of your leg. And, and you don't like, notice it. And you don't notice it. You come <laughs> home to mom. Mom's like, help come clean you up for bed or whatever. And Allison looks at your leg and is like, where were you today? And like yeah. starts to panic. And you as a kid are like, oh my God, why, why? And then like you as the adventuring party is like sitting inside like the, like, I don't know, the collective because you just got there and a mom runs in with her kid being like, we have a problem. Right? Like, that's yeah. how you can introduce them to your team, right? What do you have for, for social, social. Um, role-playing? I like to jump right to the, what was the blood tree called? Uh, just a tree blight. Tree like, blight. Yeah. That's it, straight up tree yeah, blight. Yeah, yeah. They don't have cool names. They're just the thing blight. Yeah. <laughs> the, the tree blight and versus treant. I would love to have you going through a forest or getting to a forest and it sounds like there's, you know, thunder or something, but the skies are clear and you encounter some kind of like battle, some sort of regional battle between Treant and Tree Blight and you just stroll up onto it and it's like, holy shit. That would, that would be really cool too. I'm thinking like a, like a tier two party one tree and getting ganged up by like three tree blights. And then, right? yeah. yeah, and then the fucking druid in the party is like, we must save the tree. And- save, <laughs> save the forest. And then here we are fighting a bunch of tree blights. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, when it comes to role playing, I like, there's not much. I think that the ones that ambush, look, if any creature ambushes, it's just tactics that I use anyway. And. Okay, so you know when you guys roll the random encounters and then, like, nothing happens? hmm It's because we rolled something that ambushes and has decided that you're not worth the fucking trouble. Yeah. Mm. You're too strong or too scary or your bonfire's too big or someone cast a spell earlier or you just slaughtered something in the earlier watch or whatever it is. And so the thing that's been watching, that's been waiting, goes, uh, no. Not today. No. Because if they ambush, it means they've got to be aware enough to understand when the right time is to attack. And mm-hmm. therefore, when is the wrong time as well. Mm-hmm. So that's my big social or role-playing cue here is that for the most part, you've got the two, the, the twig blights and the vine blights that ambush. And then the astral blights who are just kind of like slow to react to shit as well. That are not necessarily out there to fight you unless you stay in an area too long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Actually, oh, I like that. Do you guys ever see um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Yep. The old one with uh, Donald Sutherland in it. And like, I just love the idea of these things slowly moving towards you because you've been standing there talking too long and they just stand up straight and turn and look at you. And then 12 of them start moving very slowly down the street towards you. Like totally. A, yeah. And then someone else is like, is that force getting closer? Yeah. Right? (laughs) And is it glowing? (laughs) Okay, we can forget that the fucking astral ones exist, man. Like, I am right out of the fourth wall. (laughs) Every once in a while, because we have portals in our game, I'll drop something from from fucking Spelljammer on the table, and everyone looks at it and goes, what? Why? Fuck. (laughs) Like, because I bought the minis, guys. (laughs) I just want to use the minis. The Nafalgu was pretty fun. We got to play with that. That was neat. The Yes. The fucking gif you guys had no time for. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, there's some neat creatures in there. Not these though. Mm-hmm. Um no. Yeah, like the the um tree blight, like the interactions and social piece is gonna be so much more exciting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Um, impact on the environment. Well, I mean, as discussed in, like, the actual lore, they take over. And even, like, humanoids that know what they are will just say, okay, fuck it, you can have it. And they just yeah. put their hands up and walk away. So this would definitely be a, a process of, like, controlling the environment. So if you do exist in an area where these, like, may happen, mm-hmm. to my earlier idea, there is a wall that is built. Mm-hmm. Being, like, you can stay within these walls, no one crosses this line. This is, like, like all those fucking like fantasy stories about how there's a magical barrier. Yeah. This is where you would have a magical barrier of some kind, right? Um, to kind of keep your group safe. And you would be taught not to go through those, mm-hmm. like through the gate and that kind of stuff, right? But because to your point, it's going to destroy any environment it walks into because that's what it does. Yeah. It's, it infests. Yeah. So this one would need to be exterminated <clears throat> or contained somehow, right? So, but I could also see them having like, and now I'm imagining someone just keeps, like, one tree in their house. But it's, like, in a glass case. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like those people that keep all those items that are haunted. This would be in someone's weird haunted area. I have real beef with that idea in the first place. Oh, 100%. Oh, look we- at my haunted shit. You dumb fuck. Why would you put all the evil in one place? Yeah. Uh, that is the one thing, like... I'm sorry, side rant, the Conjuring movies are bullshit because these people are supposed to be the best, smartest, most successful exorcists and mediums of all, and they keep a room full of goddamn evil. Bitch, burn that shit. (laughs) What are you... You are not the smartest or the best if you're like, hey, let's have a collect. Let's put them in the same room. But then we wouldn't have this movie series, Adam. We shouldn't have it in the first place because those two have been outed as frauds since like the 70s. That doesn't matter. It still makes great entertainment. It do- <laughs> Look, it's... Uh, <laughs> I acquiesce to your point. I've seen all eight of the Amityville movies and those are all based on the, that hoax. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah. Great entertainment. <laughs> I say that because there's another one coming out and the, I'm going to go see the, it. <laughs> the, 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 there's a difference between great entertainment and grating entertainment. Fair enough. So... I'm sorry, another what? Amityville or Conjuring? Conjuring. Is it that new nun movie? Nun, yeah. Jesus Christ. The first one is so fucking dumb. The nun ones were not great, not gonna lie. No, so dumb. But there was, did you see the new Insidious? Again, sorry, sidebar internet. I didn't think Insidious made an ounce of sense. I thought it was dumb. Honestly, I'm tired of looking at Patrick Wilson. I just, (laughs) like, he's in both of those series and I'm just, I'm just done looking at that guy. It was great, internet. It was great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> moving on environment well, we're we're going back to the very beginning talking about me from the prairies um i thought of like open fields oh you see these trees coming from miles away <laughs> yes and say you have to trudge across a wheat field and you come across a 15 foot radius crop circle and you don't know what caused it <laughs> oh no and, and you're, you're like seeing... mind players and you're looking up <laughs> and you're seeing all these weird shapes and it's like these circles that have like wiped out the wheat in a perfect circle and it's like what the hell is doing this and it's fucking vine blights that have just taken over this you is, have to figure it this out. Is, you're thinking it's like a signs kind of yeah. like crop circle aliens are coming down. You're like going all like this is astral nonsense. You're like, nope, <laughs> just weird trees. Yeah. <laughs> it's one angle you could take them out of just, um, you know, seeing a big forest. Yeah. You know? It's fair. You're walking in between. 
And total, it's total Lord of the Rings too, where you just see, you know, the forest moving from it's, afar. It's funny. Everyone always thinks Lord of the Rings when it comes to this shit. But I always think of uh, Burnham Wood from Macbeth, mm. right? Where the prophecy is that when the forest starts to move in March, right? Mm, yeah. This is the end. And it's just dudes with like shrubberies in front of them. Creeping shrubberies? Through the yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Like, I don't know. Um... Uh, honestly, I think of, I was trying to think, why do people run away? These things are easy to kill. Mm-hmm. They're not, like, a mob of dudes with, with pitchforks and, and torches can take out a bunch of this stuff. Yeah. And then I realized that, that they uproot and destroy everything. Yeah. Which means they're going to infringe upon the crops. And this is why you have to leave. You do not have harvest now. Yeah. Right. So... They are going to systematically start ripping it out and planting more stuff. And so when it comes to the impact on the environment, they're planting more evil, tainted, um, uh, contaminated uh, trees and plants. It doesn't say it anywhere, but I assume that they're planting more trees that that are evil that will make more blights. And so they're building an army. They're always building an army. That's the goal here. Is much like... Knolls as well is another one where like if you leave that shit unchecked for too long, this could end the goddamn world. Mm-hmm. Be real careful with containment. These. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those ones like you were bugging me about is you could probably you could have scouts or someone know like you know five kilometers away or leagues or whatever the fuck you want to call Yalms, distance. You know. It's like <laughs> they were found. <laughs> And then you have X amount of time to get your shit packed up. And so you can, like, see it coming. It's like the cloud or, like, you yeah. can see the the rot moving closer and closer. And then, you know, you go out for your morning inspection. It's like, yeah, it reached this crop or it has reached this, you know, farmland. Yeah. I love the idea, too, of, like, having that moment, that little shop of horrors moment where, like, your potted plants or your vegetable garden, your herb garden or whatever... Is all ripped out by someone in the middle of the night. And then three days later, there's new plants growing there. Mm. But the the stalks are black. Or, like, the it, they're reedy looking. They, it doesn't look like anything good. Just weeds growing. Yeah. And this is the beginning of... The tree blights came through and just, like, that's good fertile soil. We'll pull the flower bed out, right? Yeah. Any combat strategies? I mean, all five of them are kind of different, but anything that sticks out to you, Megan? Uh, I like the pine needle ones, just for, like, the lasering you with fucking needles. Yeah, I think ranged that's, attacks. Ranged attacks, and, like, the fact that they, like, move in, like, again, that they can communicate and move into the same space. Um, I, those was just interest me the most. But then I also, like, think of the giant tree with the mouth hole, and I'm like, interesting. Mm-hmm. And, like... But, like, I don't, I would never want to encounter that ever in my life. I would just be fucking frightening. See, I love, I love that idea of, like, the one needle blight and they kill it, and then suddenly the forest comes alive, and they're coming from all sides, and in the distance you can hear thump, yeah. thump, thump, and it's the one tree blight coming. Yeah. I yeah, just, just totally. feel like once you're surrounded by them, you're fucked, right? So I feel like the, as a DM, you would definitely want to, like, lean into, to give them a chance, the fact that, yeah, your, your speed is slow. Mm. right so for any kind of combat tactic he's like you got to be fast yeah right because but as a dm that that's your kind of fail safe for them if they fuck up and stay too long in the forest it's a slow move in so you just kind of give them the warning of run fucking fast the animals in the forest are piecing it out Mm -hmm. right 
but I will never be nonchalant about something that moves slow anymore because the fucking movie we're on movies uh it follows we love that movie it like the most fucked up like traumatizing show I fucking love that great film. yeah yeah, it's it's the reason why humans have been so successful. That is our evolutionary thing. We don't have horns, we don't have claws, we don't have anything that should give us any sort of ability to conquer other creatures, except we have endurance. We can last longer than anyone else. Every other creature will get tired before we do, so we can hunt that shit down. Mm-hmm. And that is how humans became like the apex predators, and it follows can outlast us in a race. And that's yeah. what's fucking terrifying. Yeah. yeah. That's why the T-1000 is terrifying, right? Yeah. Terminator, right? Is yeah. we cannot get far enough away. And yeah. we can't kill it stronger, better, faster. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like these two, if there's a horde and you know that they're going to get you, it's like, okay, let's book it. And so as you set up camp... And oh, it had a D, a horde. Okay, keep going. Yeah. Horde. <laughs> Just double check. That's okay. When I was talking about farmer's tools, I avoided every hoe joke I could. (laughs) (laughs) Right, but it's that you then, like, in on the watch, the last watch of the night, you can hear them. Like they've they've made their way and they're there. It's like, okay, yeah, we got to get out of here in an hour. We got to keep moving because they're always there. (laughs) Oh my god, I can just imagine going through that watch, and because you're only there for a couple of hours, you don't see the force move. But the person who took first watch wakes up in the morning being like, that was not there when we when I went to bed. Yeah. And like per second person's like, what are you talking about? And then like then the second person's like, it wasn't there when I went to bed. And the other person's like, what are you talking about? It's been there the whole fucking time. It's like, no, that shit's moving. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, that is that is scary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for combat, so here here's my thing. Let, let me paint you a word picture. I'm going to come up with, I mean, not for you guys because you're in my fucking campaign, so all these ideas go to waste. One of you out there listening should use this. Uh, there's travel that takes 12 days to get from one place to another and it's through the woods. You've gone back and forth over and over and over again to the point where it's a safe enough road. You're not really rolling random encounters anymore, but you get nine days in and suddenly the road is gone because blights have come in and planted over the road. And the forest is not just forest, it is a dark forest. Everything in there is very, very hostile. So you have no opportunity or no option to do anything except go back. But two days back, the road disappears and the forest is dark. Here's where the problem lies. About halfway through this entire thing, one of your mounts got taken in the middle of the night by the twig blights in at the waypoint, at the watering hole. Yeah. Right? You just woke up. And there was a dead horse. Yeah. Pieces of it missing. There was eight instead of nine. Yep. <laughs> so you have an option. Which way do you go? Do you push further in the direction that you had originally intended? Or do you try to move even further through uh, the dark forest? So chances are, because it's a shorter trip to just keep, to turn around again and go back, you're going to travel in that direction to find out that the forest has come even closer. And you are eventually going to be surrounded on all sides. Mm-hmm. Here's the fucking issue. You look up and see in the woods, when the woods are everywhere, you look up and see there's one dude standing about 90 feet away in the shadows. And it's the one needle blight. (laughs) Now, your players are just going to Eldritch Blast the shit out of that motherfucker from a distance, right? So, that guy's going to die, but when he dies, all the other needle blights come out of the fucking woodwork. So, it's an overwhelming amount of movement. There's a tree blight coming. Shit is hitting the fan. And the worst part of it is if you move into the trees, into the forest, the vine blights are sitting there waiting. 
to give difficult terrain to restrain you and grapple you. Yeah. And to keep your party separate. Forgot about the grappling. Yeah. 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 So, um, if I wanted to add one extra little layer of just spookiness, I would bring the astral blights in because in the middle of the night, lights in the woods. They start glowing. Yeah. So I want that glowing movement, that Mr. Burns glow coming through the woods late at yeah. night. Coming through just to terrify. I mean, they're not real dangerous. Yeah. But, but your players will think of will-o'-wisps and be fucking terrified, so. Yeah, and that that difficult terrain equalizes the movement, you know, yeah. a yeah. lot. So suddenly the quick getaway doesn't It's not as quick as it once was. Yeah. Ex- except for the goddamn monk. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, that brings us to the last one, Megan. Yeah, we're going to talk about The Last of Us and Clickers. Just kidding. We're going to talk about my canids. <laughs> I'm sorry, we're talking about your... Conids? <laughs> my conids. My, my conids. <laughs> All right, then. Oh, baby. <laughs> uh, fair enough. I feel like I, I feel like this episode has been It's a Mimic After Dark. 100%. We, we keep threatening to do one of those, and this is... This, this is feels is getting there. Yeah. Uh, because I'm going to talk about fungus. Unpleasant. <laughs> <laughs> Highly intelligent fungus. Um, so... Basically, these are, yeah, highly intelligent, lifelike mushroom people that live in the uh, Underdark. Uh, so if you think about their imagery, yes, the younger ones can be looking very cute. They're little, little, little mushrooms with little arms. Very cute. But then as they grow and get bigger, they get bigger and scarier and covered in spores and covered in fungus and very, very gross and creepy. They also are thought to be potentially violent, but if you approach them with kindness, they can actually be influenced enough to actually provide you with shelter or even safe passage when you travel through their lands. They actually don't really care that you exist as long as you don't do anything to harm them. Mm-hmm. But if you do anything to harm them, you will get murdered or fungusted. Yeah. <laughs> they tend to live in colonies, but they call it, their colonies are called circles, uh, which consists of 20 or more of these kinds of living mushrooms that operate within a community where they work, live, and do what is called melding. Hot. I know. <laughs> Let's meld. Let's meld. Well, you're going to love it when I tell you what melding is. Okay. So melding uh, is basically a form of group meditation. Oh, baby. <laughs> basically, they use uh, what is called a rapport spore to connect. I'm sorry. The mold meld has a rapport spore? A rapport spore. <laughs> Jesus fuck. <laughs> so they use these spores to tele- tele- telepathically connect with each other. And once they are linked, then they can actually use hallucinogen spores. Uh, to induce a shared dreamlike state where they transcend and enter, like, and, like, basically entertain each other that way. And this is actually what they think is their whole purpose of their life, is to... I've met people like that. That's the thing. It's like, like <laughs> this, I was like, I know people like this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure you described half of Dave's exes. <laughs> oh, boy. Poor guy. Poor guy. Uh, but yeah, I think like literally hallucinogenic mushrooms, these are them, but they are alive. It's just weird and creepy. I love it. I know, right? To reproduce, they do similar to what the other ones do. Like it's through spores, but they are weirdly conscious of not overpopulating. So like same kind of thing. They don't have any romantic relationships. They don't like spawn together. They just make spores and make fungus babies. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So they, but then they regulate. So it's like, okay, we got to rein it in on the spores yeah. spreading. Well, that, and they, like, so they keep their colonies quite small. So what I imagine is once their colony starts getting a little bit too big, they send folks out to go 
invade a different forest or whatever. That's how I imagine it. Yeah. I don't imagine they murder each other or say no more sporing. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, they're probably... It's like a colony. They split, right? Yeah. But... And they move on to do bigger and better things elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Because, again, they're highly intelligent. They're not, like, just growing fungus being hurdy-dirty in a forest. Like, they just... They actually know and how to function in a land. Because if you overpopulate, then, like, there's no more for your group to continue to expand or utilize the grounds and that kind of stuff. Right? In my head, it's just, like, the fucking visions become a little too intense. This is so, too like, much. Kevin, yeah, you have to go. I, I, I'm having a bad trip. You're harshing my buzz. You guys gotta leave. Leave. Yeah. <laughs> but the vibes. The vibes are off. <laughs> So within these circles, there are three levels of fungus. There's the sprout, which I said is kind of adorable, the adult, and then what is called the sovereign. Oh boy. Now we're getting into cult territory, in my opinion, but we'll get there. Uh, and to, similar to what yours were, Casey, the sovereign is just technically the largest and oldest fungus with the most spores. There's no, like, voting them into power or anything yeah, like that. They're like, just the biggest. you haven't died yeah. the longest. Congratulations. <laughs> this is your circle. So I'm going to talk a little bit about what kind of makes them special. So there's, of course, things that all of them have. So we'll go over that first. So they have distress spores. So this is the idea that the myconid takes, if they take damage, all other spores within 240 feet will feel that pain. Jesus. Oh boy. Okay. So these remind me of those, what, what were the mushrooms that would scream? What were those ones? Oh, the shriekers. The shriekers. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of that where all of a sudden, all, the whole like colony will all of a sudden feel what that person felt, what that fungus felt. Okay. To be honest... In our campaign, I, I gave that to the Shriekers. The Shriekers just, like, if you disturb this one, it yells. I'm like, yeah, but that would disturb the one beside it, which would disturb the one beside uh, it. So, <laughs> like, so mine had a wave of nonsense yeah, that I sense. don't think was in the actual lore. Well, that this is this is that. Yeah, this is that. Yeah, yeah. they do feel it. And I, sh I assume they might, there would be like a, like, ah, noise. Oh, right in the spores. <laughs> son, of a, son of a bitch. Um, also because they come from the Underdark, all of them have sun sickness, so they have disadvantage of all things when they are in the sunlight or sure. within light. Or you could just say ginger. They're, they're ginger. They're ginger. <laughs> um, so they, so when it comes to the sprouts, they're weak as fuck, uh, similar to like your, your little trees, Adam, you can hit them with a basic attack and they will pff, die. Yeah. Um, and their little weak little arms will just pff, for you with like 1d4 damage. Like <laughs> yeah. they're not scary at all. In fact, there is zero CR for the sprouts. They, they, oh boy. yeah. <laughs> this is, this is baby Groot to yeah. me walking around just being a nuisance yeah. and getting up to shit. Like you'll accidentally step on one. It's like, ooh, uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Another thing that, like, uh, sorry, another mechanic that goes with these ones and all of them is they all can do the rapport spore. So, um, this is, it can be used three times per day and is basically, that's what extends to another body within a 10 foot radius. So it doesn't have to be another spore. It can be another humanoid. Or another intelligent creature of two or above. I fucking love the idea of there just being like, there's an old naked druid just <laughs> yeah. been hanging out here for Druids, am I right? Years, yeah. Just, just yeah. vibing on just. the sports. <laughs> it's a good place, oh man. Uh, but they do have to have an intelligence of two or more. So your you're barbarian's like, what's going on, guys? <laughs> um. <laughs> Are you guys having a vision? Is this the vision? Am I doing it Am yet? Am I doing it yet? Um, so this can affect any creature unless they are undead, a construct, or an elemental of some kind. So they have to be like a living creature that has an intelligence of 2+. plus. Um, they can now, at any time you were linked, you can now speak telepathically to other creatures within that same link. So all of a sudden you start here, like if your party walks into one of this, these places and you get hit with rapport spores and you all have intelligence over 2, you can all suddenly hear each other. 
This Ooh, is gonna hit. Boy. This is gonna hit most pets, most all familiars. Yeah. Like this is gonna hit every all the NPCs with you. This is a. This is a great way to use them to be able to find out which one of your fucking NPCs is out to get you. Yep. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Um, so this effect lasts for one hour. So it's a very short trip. Um, and you have to stay within 30 feet of each other. Once you step out of the foot, like 30 feet from that, like the grouping, you, you will get unlinked. Other than that, uh, for the sprouts themselves, for attacks again, they can punch you and that's about it. They can't. Sure. They're not... Again, they're not inherently violent, even though if they if they are going to be, they can be. Sure. But, um, <clears throat> so as mentioned, the above abilities are technically maintained when you get into adulthood. The only additives are that uh, you get the addition of pacifying spores, which is now the adult can eject a spore at someone within five feet, where they need to take a DC 11 con save or be stunned. Uh, this can be done three times per day. Dave, sit down. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, as well as the rapport spore distance does increase to 20 feet instead of 10. Uh, but again, very weak physically, and their attack has not increased nearly enough to be scary. Um, so it only makes them a CR of one half. So again, like they can be killed and not be bothered, but again, they're going to be in hordes, right? Yeah. So you're dealing with the spores. You're not dealing with them physically. Now for the Sovereign. Which, as I mentioned, is just the largest spore in the circle uh, and is the one who now has the ability to create the hallucinogen spores. Uh, so this is basically another... You have to be within five feet uh, and it's a DC 12 con save or be poisoned for one minute. And then that kicker is they are you are now incapacitated uh, as you hallucinate. Does it say what the hallucinations are? Like, is it pleasant? Is it horrifying? Doesn't it doesn't say one way or another. So I feel like it's going to be a you as a DM discretion. Like, it depends, I guess, the life of this circle right, would determine how bad your trip is. Yeah, and also, like, the hallucination probably has something to do with what the Sovereign has experienced in the past. So, exactly. like, if they've run across, that was the Underdark, they've run across driders, then you're going to have bad spider hallucinations. Yeah. But if they've only run across other mushrooms, you're just playing Mario 3 in your fucking head. Right? Yeah, so. exactly, right. But they can get scary, and I'll get into a couple of weird variants to make them scary. But to finish off the Sovereign, um, the other ability they get is the animating spores. So this gives them the ability to raise a humanoid corpse or a large or small beast within five feet. In 24 hours, the corpse rises as a spore servant. And this corpse stays animated for 1d4 plus 1 weeks. Cool. Or until killed. And, but then they cannot be animated again in this way. So you can now... And so it's almost like depending on what kind of group this life is, this, this spore circle has been through... Their goal might be to kill you and create larger corpses, right? They could make your cat come back My, the very next day. The very, very next day. <laughs> and so let me kind of go into like what happens with the servants. So servants, again, they're raised by the sovereign using the spores. And they basically will maintain the AC, hit points, hit dice, strength, dex, con, vulnerabilities, resistances, and dexterity of the creature that was killed. Of the corpse. Okay. Okay. However, they will lose their saving throw, skill bonuses, special sense, and traits. It loses any action that isn't a multi-attack and can only use damage types um, of bludgeoning, piercing, or slashing. Unless it is using weaponry that is can do magical damage because it can use the weapons that the corpse had sure. on its person. Oh, but it's not going to cast spells with it. No. No. 
Um, all speeds will be reduced by 10 to a minimum of 5, which to me reads as you will have a flying one of these. Yeah. And a swimming one of these. And a burrowing one because you're in the Underdark. 100%. They're going to come out of the ground. Yeah. So the remaining ability scores such as intelligence, wisdom, and charisma do change. So intelligence is a negative four, wisdom is a negative two, and charisma is a negative five. Sure. So they're not social creatures, No, they're they're the last of us. Yes. Uh, They gain blindsight of up to 30 feet, but they can't see past that. Sure. Uh, Also, they cannot be blinded because, again, I guess they lose their eyes (laughs) because they're just fungus. Uh, they cannot be charmed, frightened, or paralyzed. Uh, they lose all languages except for communication through the rapport spore. So they can understand the communication that happens when they're linked. Okay. Yeah. For attacking, they just use the weapons they have on hand. Uh, if they cannot, then they just do unarmed attacks, which is the basic unarmed attack that anyone can do. Aren't those delightful? Love them. <laughs> Super cute. Super cute. Right? So one more thing I want to touch on how these things can get even more scary. Yay! So, in the Tales of the Abyss book, uh, so, of course, due to taking place largely in the Underdark. Uh, out of the Abyss. Out of the Abyss. There you go. There is a big, big bad named Zugtmoy. Zugtmoy. She is one of the, um, like, super demons. Like, she she is bad news. She's like the big, big bad, big she, bad news. Yeah, she is almost a goddess of, like, fungi and plants. Yes. But mostly fungi. Fun guys. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so she's basically a big, big bad that can create, of course, and does create spore servants all over the lands. So, but these spore servants will take place, uh, since it's in the Underdark, you get creatures like Drow, Durgar, like horror spores, or the Quagoth spore servants. Like, you can get anything. Oh. She is, because of who she is, she can basically make anything into a spore servant. Nice. Yeah. 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 Sorry, there's a picture of her in... Uh, Morning Canyon's Tome of Foes, I'm going to find. Yeah, it's kind of like a big, like, mushroom, like, cage. But because of the way she is, she actually has almost like a skeleton fungus look to her. So she, like, builds rib cages and, like, is, yeah. Ooh, wow. Her hair is, like, made of, like, mushroom, like, caps. Like, she's just fucking scary as shit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so she's she's a quote-unquote demon prince. I call her demon princess, but yeah. Yeah. But well, we actually get a stat block for her in Monsters of the Multiverse. Yeah. So. Cool. Yep. So, yeah. So the the ones that she creates um, actually get added spores to them. So that's the, the different variants that you can get from her. One of them is the infestation spores and the other one is euphoria spores. Sorry. Caustic spores, infestation spores, and euphoria spores. There's three different ones. So the caustic spores, this is a 30-foot acid cone. That is release that requires a deck save to avoid or take acid damage on each turn until you save. All that damage is based on what kind of servant it is, based on that stat block. Sure. So, like, if it's a drow versus a duragar, you'll have a different stat block for what that damage is. So if you're fighting something intensely large, it'll hit you for a pretty hard punch, right? Infestation spores. This is a 10-foot radius gas release. That if you are inside when it goes off or enter it, you must make a con save. If failed, you are infected with the madness of Zugtomoy, which is described a lot in the Abyss book. Uh, it comes up, people will, you take madness. It's basically taking a sanity score. Yeah. Um, so you are now infected with the madness. Yeah, the, the demon princes are not to be fucked with. Like, the, she she is shoulder to shoulder with fucking Orcus and Demogorgon. Yeah. Right? Like, it's bad news. Yeah. And the worst part is you can only make a save every 24 hours. If you die this way, you become a spore servant for her. So 
if she, you are a high-powered adventuring party going after her, her goal is going to be to ruin you and yeah. then take your bodies. Add you to the fray. Yeah. Oh. And then there's also Euphoria Spores, which is a 20-foot cloud radius on itself. Like, like expands from itself and requires a con save to avoid. If you fail, you are poisoned for one minute, and you can then repeat the save every turn, but you will take one level of exhaustion once you release it. Oh, that's not great. Nope. We love it. Sorry, I'm just looking her up. She's CR 23. Yes. She mind controls and is just like fucking, it's not good. Yeah, I didn't go into details about her because fighting her is just don't do it. No, but she gets cultists too in this, in Monsters of the Multiverse. It's yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, she's she's a god basically, right? Pretty close, yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, that is Mycodins. Let's roll initiative one more time. Four. Nine. Oh, man. Twelve for you. I hate going first. <laughs> All right, Casey. You have a storyline about Mike and Ed, something like a quest or a... How are these cute, Casey? Yeah. The... <laughs> I'll tell you how. So I was doing a one-shot with my family, which turned into like a five and is now a mini campaign. That, that's every one-shot, yeah. 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 And um, I they did not go into the Underdark, but I did pull these because I thought they were cute. Um, to be an an ally in um, a in the caves in a mountain. Mm. So the party was seeking out a silver dragon in high in the mountain and deep into the mountain. And they came across after a long time going through tunnels, um, a hidden door, and it had myconid a family of myconids in it that they chose not to attack and tried to engage and was nice to them. And so the Myconids gave them safe passage past a horde of goblins. So it was the dynamic of, um, of them. It's like, if you're not going to mess up our stuff, here, let's, I, we will facilitate you moving through our area. Well, so you don't ruin our shit. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so, and the party opted not to try and ruin their shit or cause chaos, and so they were little guides that took them through and then popped them up. I've never heard down. of a How party How did that feel for that? you, Casey? <laughs> That's a strange concept. I know, I know. It was weird. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But, yes, so if you're kind of pulling and using them in a more um, pleasant and not as dark scenario. Mm -hmm. uh, that was the one I used. I love that. Yeah, because they were little and cute. <laughs> there you go. Megan, what do you got? Um, I like. I would. I would definitely lean into the fact that these are drugs, man. Yeah. Like. <laughs> I there, stayed away from that because there was children. children. Fair enough. <laughs> but totally. But like, yeah, like, totally bad. You come to a land where like they sell like the spores of these things, right? And they're like, there might be a drug trade or a drug ring and that you have to stop somehow, right? And then you come across this group of Mycodins are like, well, well, no, like try it out. And then as a DM, this is a great way to either, again, fish out who in your party has like scary like hallucinations who has good hallucinations mixed in with like revealing parts of your backstory because uh -huh. again they're shared hallucinations <laughs> so if all of a sudden like one of your players starts hallucinating about their past or like a weird relationship they once had or a scary thought they've had before all of them are seeing it oh yeah you should almost build random fucking tables yeah so that when you all start to hallucinate everybody rolls once on the on the hallucination 
table. So, like, what's the thing you accidentally share with everyone? Mm -hmm. um, that's a very major idea and one's a very minor idea. So I would have, you know, two D20 tables to be, like, uh, your greatest phobia. And so then everyone has to deal with that. And also, who is your first crush? Yeah. Because they'll be walking through the background. Yeah. Like the house is on fire. And that half-elf is also in the background making cookies. Like... <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh. Very yeah. clever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, okay, so I have my kids in my campaign. You guys have avoided them at every fucking opportunity. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So it's coming. So, maybe. So maybe. So the idea here <laughs> might be too late. is uh i like putting my kids underground. It doesn't have to be the underdark. I like them in any underground area. Yeah. Uh you guys have a city that is built kind of half into a cliff, but the majority of the apartments and the dwellings and whatnot in the protected city itself are underground. At the bottom of the cliff, it goes even deeper underground by a number of levels. And there used to be kobolds running essentially the sewers and taking care of everything that that was too dark and too nasty and too tight and tiny to get through. Kobolds were taking care of it. Mm -hmm. um, but what they were doing is they were essentially taking all of the waste and giving it to the myconids who were feeding off of it and thriving down there and having great big colonies and spreading out and really living their best life. But the Myconids, because Zugtomoy has a weird relationship with Dweeblix, who is the um, demon prince of oozes. And they're like homies. And as a matter of fact, in the background of that picture, Dweeblix is, is being fucking terrifying. In the background is the demon prince of oozes. Oh, nice. Oh, yes. Yeah, I see it. So the Myconids feed the oozes all of the shit that they themselves don't want, right? Yeah. So the Myconids are down there, minding their own business, living their best life. And then, for reasons you guys don't know, the kobolds have left. They've gone off on a pilgrimage for some reason. And so hundreds of them are missing, and the Myconids have started coming up. And it's become a problem. And the sewers are backing up. This, the, clearly the waste is not getting dealt with appropriately. And there are now sightings of large mushrooms that are growing in the lower levels of the building. Or of the um, the city. So, like, this is my, my plot hook, and you guys have... I always had, the way we've been doing it for all of Tier 2 is, here are three or four missions, which one do you want to do? And then you accomplish one, I replace it with something else, which one do you want to do? And anyone you didn't do gets slowly worse yeah. as time goes on. We know the sewers None of us so wanted bad. to go to the sewers. Yeah, none of weeks. you wanted to do it. We're yeah. going to go do drugs. <laughs> now I know that there's drugs down there, here we go. We're so, go so there's something that's making the Myconids come upward, mm -hmm. right? And so... You guys got to figure that out. Casey, any idea about the social aspect of this besides the drugs? Because that's the obvious answer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it is. It gives you um, lots of opportunity to do mind fuckery, though. Like, mm -hmm. whether it's throwing what the Myconids would have in their mind, and then, you're like, the, the parties who start hallucinating have to then experience that. And there might be one shred of important information. Perhaps you need... Perhaps one noble adventurer needs to go hallucinate to try and pull out some information. A and forgotten so, history or forgotten past. So they have to figure out, yeah, like yeah. how to interact with these and like how to navigate the drugs safely. Yeah. Um, okay, I forget whether they... what What's the language, if any? Myconid. They speak Myconid. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, we're back to that same thing with the veggie pygmies where it's more 
gestures and social cues, but they are really intelligent. Yeah, until you are linked. Once you're linked, you can understand them. So, so that will be the kind of fun social thing, I think, is doing all of that. And if the party doesn't know about the mind connection, which likely they won't, you will have to kind of dig at trying to get them to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think that would be the the most fun part. Yeah. Because for the social aspect and role-playing these things, I feel we have to remember that their goal in life is to give you that shared experience. Like, because they, yeah. they they think that the reason they were put on this earth was to link and give these shared experiences yeah. and, like, live as a community in that way, right? So if you were to come across any of them, their goal is going to be able to get you close enough so they can hit you with these things and bring you into the collective and bring yeah. you into the fold. And it may be vindictive. It may not be. It depends on, like, again, I feel like where they're growing, what their past experience was, what yeah. happened to the circle, like... Okay, okay. So, I'm all... It, Things always happen on overnight watches. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. so the first watch, they get pulled into the circle, which is like just a ways away, and you know they're dancing in the circle. I just imagine this like they're all getting <laughs> naked and dancing around. So a it's like little it's fire. like the end of the movie, yeah. the Vavitch. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and then second watch like wakes up like naturally and is like why were we woken up and then they go find them and then it's like what the hell happened then they join and then the rest of the party finally wakes up and they look over and, and it's the like, barbarian what? with an intelligence of like one who's like what are you guys doing yeah <laughs> and the circle of spores druid and the bard are just making out in the corner <laughs> oh my god amazing oh man delightful Joy. Megan, yeah, social. <laughs> well, that's my thing. Like, I, I feel like from a role-playing perspective, I love the tactic of using the groans and grunts and, like, hand gestures to try and communicate. And then as a DM, all of a sudden, when they can hear your thoughts, you have a very, like, low, sultry, and, like, communicative, like, very intellectual voice. I love making that switch and juxtaposition and, like, yeah. character role-play. Yeah. This is an opportunity for you to do that. Yeah. So I want to say that we live in a world of magic and magic is awesome and these spores are clearly magical as well. And I'm sure the hallucinations are fun, but what if you were to get to a higher level of consciousness? If you can get four or five sovereigns, keep in mind there would be like one in each one of the colonies. Yeah. If you could get four or five of them together, you might be able to scry and just like (laughs) see what's happening in other places. Yeah. If you get... 10 or 12 of them together, you might be able to astral project. Dope. Cool. And you could negotiate with them. Give them what they want. Mm-hmm. That's, I, that would be like the role playing, but that got me to like, what does a mic in it want? Mm-hmm. Right. And probably the safety for their colony. Yeah. Peace. Right. Don't ruin my space. We yeah. live on the earth. Don't destroy the earth. Don't touch my twigs. Like right. we're here to protect yeah. our area is like. And probably as well, like I would be able to you know what they're going to want? They're going to want... So here's the thing that, that my mic is who are neutral, they're willing to help, they're on your side, and they have been for a while, their spore servants are rotting out. They're dying, it's been five weeks. Mm-hmm. We need new ones. Bring us new ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I said, like, they can get inherently violent if they're not yeah. getting what they want, right? right? So, yeah. So at that point, you've got to go raid the Darrow mm-hmm. or whatever and be like, we brought you prisoners. That's fucking dark, but, like... Hey, we slaughtered some goblins. Their corpses aren't doing anything else. Here you go. Here you are. (laughs) Great. 
Love that circle of life. Yeah. Um, how do these yeah. guys impact the environment, do you think? Uh, well, you're first, actually. Sorry. I oh, keep forgetting. First. Yeah. I was rolling so high lately <laughs> that I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> do you think they would be, um, like, tricksy? Like, I, w- I want to imagine them not in a malicious way, but set spore traps, like where they make gorgeous flat gorgeous flowers it like in when you're encroaching in on their space like maybe they use you guys ran into that gas spore not long ago that yeah. looked like a beholder yeah maybe they set those up on the boundaries to scare people away yeah it's the poppy fields and wizard of oz yeah right yeah. there's like something like that and you know your druid or gnome or something that's like oh that's so nice and then you get within and it opens and it's like oh my gosh this is so pretty and then it goes poof. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it could be any a plethora of of spore types depending yeah. on what their intent is. And Maybe we'll they're trying it, to right? yeah. yeah, like yeah. it could be trying to then um, just get you to get to them faster so you can be part of the circle. It could be to deter. It could be a lot of different reasons. Yeah, yeah, you could make up all sorts of different spores, right? Like, yeah, you could like there's hundreds of different kinds of spores that are used in D and D. You just like can make it work yeah. for what this is, and yeah. like the spore of the merrier. The spore of the because <laughs> they have like the paraly- par- paralysis one. Yeah, like you get to incapacitate your characters. Totally. Like there's like so many things they can do, and then they just come in and they. Take your body back to oh my gosh their, their clan. And you're you're aware, but you can't move, and yeah. then you just see all these, these little, little mushrooms pulling like, bull- you through the forest, like like brownies. Oh no, it's weirder than that because you're paralyzed. They would tilt your head back, open your mouth, and put a spore on your tongue and close your mouth again. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh man. And then you'll start hearing them in your head because <laughs> you're connected now. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Yeah, and so like there would like you said there wouldn't be destruction, there would be anything. I feel like there'd be embellishments around that if you take notice of them, that's yeah. what they, they have done. I feel like they would want yeah, environmentally they would want their area to look pretty. Yeah. Right? Like they live there, they thrive, they thrive there. Like I don't think their goal is necessarily to expand in the place they are. Their goal is to be like this is where our colony and is, our home it. is per- perfect. And when we get too much, we send them off onto their to find their own mm-hmm. space to live in. Yeah. So over time, sure, could an area be overrun with them? Yeah, but you're going to find them in patches. You're not going to find them in big forests like the trees, or you're not going to find them... But I wonder if, like, the patches that you're seeing are these little caverns, because you're in the Underdark, that are separated by, like, 50 feet. Yeah. Right, so this colony is yeah, over here, and then 50 really feet small. later. So, like, <laughs> when they have new sprouts... They just send them to the next colony over. Yeah. And they just, they just chain their way down till they get to the end. Mm-hmm. The last colony. And, oh, there's only eight of us here. Yeah. All right, I can dig in here. And then they'll get, they'll become an adult. And then they've made their little home. And then from there on, you know. And there's a council of sovereigns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, uh, I also like to take it dark for just a moment. I think you're going to know that these things are around because they've discarded the bodies of the spore servants. Yeah. So you're yeah. going to find these like... Half eaten by fungus, kind of like corpses just littered about on the outskirts of the area, right? And then you'd run into some of the other fungi that are in the monster manual. Mm-hmm. But I also like the idea too of like maybe inside the spore servants, they only last five weeks because they're growing sprouts in their bellies and then they can alien their way out of the fucking chest cavities. Yeah. Because what happens at the end of the five weeks? It doesn't tell us. No. So maybe they don't just like rot out and die. Maybe they spawn. An entire fucking new mic in it, just like 
steps out of the husk. Yeah. Yeah. Mixed with veggie pygmy yeah. lore. <laughs> yeah. And they just emerge out and go seek something else. Gross. Any combat strategies you guys can think of? Casey, you're up first. Um, well, the the last stuff that you talked about, all of those different types of creatures that can be created and the abilities there, that is, like... Yeah, the reminder that you can, like, depending on where you are within the Underdark, you will be able to create anything out of these, right? Yeah. yeah. And so, I think, yeah, you can... It would be easy to to use them as kind of a helper or a random encounter, stuff like that. Or you could use them where it start off starts off that way, but the further you go, the the bigger the colonies seem to get. Maybe you start at the ones that are, have just recently moved. Yeah. And then you go deeper and deeper, and then you actually end up encountering lots of those creatures, and you actually have to fight them. Like, they're, they're threatening, and they're threatened by you. Yeah. So those ones, then you use those tactics there, I think. Like, yeah. they may be much more territorial because they're under direction. Maybe they're they're told to mm-hmm. do be in certain areas and ambush in certain areas. Yeah. So, yeah. It'd be very those tactical. Would, yeah, those would be up. a lot more fun as a DM and a bit more meat there. Fair enough. I liked the idea of being within the abyss and you're one of your players at the very beginning gets infected with the madness kind of thing. And then by the time you get to fighting a big, big bad... That's when that character dies. But then because you're in the heart of the place, they immediately rise. Mm-hmm. And they have all of their abilities. They have all of their strength. And you're now, fight- <laughs> you're now fighting your barbarian or your fighter, but they're the undead, yeah. like an inversion of them, right? Yeah. So, but, yeah. Honestly, I look at the way that they're set up. The bigger they are, the more powerful they are. And it's like that with the blights and the... All of them are set up kind of that way, yeah. Yeah, and the veggie pygmies as well. Which means that... Your most effective fighters are the ones that have lived the longest, but that's not a good way of have building a society. Like, you have your elders and your leaders on the front lines. Mm-hmm. We do the opposite, right, in right. human history. So, mm-hmm. for these ones specifically, though, they get spore servants. You're fighting them. The Mykonids yeah. don't fight, mm-hmm. right? The Mykonids will sit just behind the spore servant like militia mm-hmm. and hit you with spores yeah right like that's, you're not fighting them you're fighting their spore capabilities basically yeah. yeah and so and then whoever they they rose from the dead so yeah all right if that's it let's cut to our last ad break if you've been inspired by the conversation in this episode please feel free to reach out and share your creativity and ideas with us and the rest of the community you can reach us on facebook and instagram or on our subreddit at r slash it's a mimic also, if you're feeling particularly generous, please follow and subscribe and leave us positive reviews, likes, and comments. Engagement like that helps us pop up on search engines and keep this show running. Well, I think there is a surprising amount of lore on all of these that like, generally you don't get, even in doing lots of the Undead and Giant series too. There was some there, there was enough, but this one actually deep dived. So I really appreciated that. And it also gave a lot of options for um, connecting backstory or doing some sort of adventure that relates to saving someone or somebody that died coming back, you know, lots of that, which was really interesting.
Well, I mean, at the end of the day, I kind of, like, agree that, like, if you listen to our episodes on the undead and, like, we're talking about other types of creatures, they just exist, right? They kind of exist in the world, and sometimes, as a DM, you kind of take a little bit of, like, creative review on how they, why they're in this land, why they're here, all that kind of stuff, right? Whereas I feel these ones do have a built-in backstory that you can utilize. And I didn't know they existed, to be honest with you. <laughs> like, again, I usually use plant life and like from the beginning of this podcast. Like, plant life for me was always utilized as an environmental thing. Yeah. And so now that I'm like, no, they have colonies, lives, goals, like, evil trees, Adam. Yep. <laughs> like, it's something that you can... De- it's like, it's a whole new fucking... I've turned a new leaf, guys. I get it. Yay! <laughs> I get it. Um, honestly, these things are about as flavorful as all of the other mobs that we talked about in the mob episodes. Yeah. For anybody listening that's curious in that, we did, I think the mob episodes were pretty much from episode 100 to an episode 121, I want to say. So, so we did a lot of those episodes. Plus, we covered Bullywugs and then other mob episodes as well within the first 100 um, there's usually deep lore on this stuff. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the undead, it's like, this ghost was made this way. Yeah. Right? This skeleton acts in this way. This right? wizard did this thing and created it. Yeah. This is why it exists. Tragedy. Yeah. Sorrows. Yeah. <laughs> darkness, darkness. And with giants, like, they have their little communities, and they've got the ordning, but they don't all interact with each other. You're not no. going to run into, like, 400 giants hanging out. No. no. You might run into 400 veggie pygmies. Or 400 blights, yeah. right? Like, yeah. And so, as much as we're very much tied to environment with these, um, and, and we usually are with plant monsters, right? Like, depending on if you're at the coast or you're underwater. Oh, fuck, that's my final thing. All of these could be underwater creatures as well. Seaweed. Yeah. Right? Coral reef. Exactly. Ooh, right? Like, yeah. th- there's all sorts of cool shit that you can do with plant monsters. I'm going to start thinking outside the box. I remember that we got more of them in previous editions, because of course we did. We were f- fucking sick with bloat in in too many splat books in previous editions. But mm-hmm. there's not enough plants. I would like to see more of them. These ones are good, but it's not enough for me. Mm-hmm. I want to see more. And you'll notice that n- none of us had a flower. Nope. We yeah. just, we, uh, we we made we, we made flowers them. happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. So. <laughs> I would have flower blights. I would have flying veggie pygmies, and I would have multiple sovereigns together for astral projection. Like you can take this to the next step. Yeah, right? agreed. Mm-hmm. Well, that is all for this discussion on plants. Make sure you subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Thank you for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com, a store with some It's a Mimic merch, and a Patreon. This episode and others can also be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, apparently I just learned, uh, YouTube, and most other podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Please check the show notes for this episode to see links, time codes, and credits. And don't forget to reach out and share your own inspirations.
get his plant monster. How did you not and know we were on iHeartRadio? I was. It was on a list buried in our Podbean thing, and I was just scrolling around to be like, how could... That was Pod- like when we discovered we have an IMDb built for us somewhere. Fuck. What? Yeah. 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 Do you want to be famous? We all we could all just have IMDb. I think James and I already have some, so or have our own. But like, because you were actors once. Yeah. Yeah. You well, did things. Yeah, but I kill mine. But like that one was. Nobody needs to know that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Editing is for suckers. <laughs> was that, was that my sound check? Did that yeah. work? Okay. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Thanks, Megan. You're welcome. <laughs> Can I do another series for you? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> okay, before we get started, plant monsters. This was not scheduled. This was not a thing we were going to do. And it's one of the things I'm like, so. Hey, patrons that that are gold tier and above, like, what do you want to hear? And they're like, plant monsters. And I'm like, fuck, okay. (laughs) We do for you, BB. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I have have had this on the list and deleted it about four times. Mm. There are three other monster episodes where I'm like, yeah, we'll do this. And then I get to doing the breakdown and I'm like, we'll push it ten more episodes. And they just never get done. Yeah, that's fair. And so... The Plant Monsters is the first one to, to make the cut. Well, you picked a good crew for it, so. I like him. Yeah? <laughs> they're yeah. so adorable. I'm like, they're monstrous. <laughs> Foliage. Fuck. Boo plants. <laughs> I know. Do either of you guys garden? Like, did green thumb any? I, I kill everything that walks into my house, and I did this year, though, start a plant garden. Like, of like, just, um... When you say you kill everything that goes into your house, do you mean people? Because <laughs> we've both been there. <laughs> Uh, well, anyways, uh, <laughs> uh, so, but I did start gardening this year, but unfortunately because of, you know, global warming and shit, my herbs that I bought that were meant to be in shade, uh, just got like lit Fried. up yeah. and like they're doing okay. Cause technically like where my apartment is, I'm North facing, so I don't get a lot of sun, mm-hmm. but that two hours at the end of the night that it's right on my patio, that's when it's just like, <laughs> Yeah, you just cook. <laughs> like watching them shrivel and die. So I feel like if I moved them to a shadier spot, they'd be a little bit better. But other than that, no, I'm not necessarily a plant person. I tried to be a plant person, but I've lived in basements or tiny little apartments. Yeah. And it's all been like, I will buy a succulent or a cactus going, this will last forever. And then I just have green goop in a boat. <laughs> I thought, you know what? I'll put a succulent in the bathroom because it's a little bit more humid and then it'll just, and I'll never have to water it. It'll just suck up the moisture. Yeah. Nope. Drown the shit out of that thing just by having showers. So that was, <laughs> oh, that was wild. Oh man. I've had, I've had succulents shrivel up in my house. Like just, yeah. I have bought I have Charlie about 500 succulents and he always says, my baby. And he takes care of it for about three weeks. Yeah. And then he gets a new succulent, and the old one gets pushed to the back of the shelf and never gets <laughs> watered. Like, yeah, yeah there's, there's a lifespan. I'm, I'm trying because, like, Katie is a garden, like, just her garden is phenomenal. Like, she's a plant person through mm-hmm. and through. She is an earth witch. Mm-hmm. And, like, she gave me a fern when I first moved into my, like, new apartment. She gifted me a, this large fern that was, like, a clipping from her original fern. I killed a fern. We live in Vancouver, guys. Yeah, you can't kill ferns. <laughs> No, we live in, like, literally a fern gully. Uh, yeah, murdered it. 
So I now replaced it with a nice, lovely lavender plant, hoping that it will thrive. And no, that one cooked too. Yeah. No, they're just disappointing. Yeah. You know, Dave is making potatoes. Like he literally like is growing potatoes. I love and that. It's so but he's successful. Never Apparently, it's easy. How the fuck <laughs> Apparently it's so easy because he goes away for like six days at a time and comes back and it's like, like it's been cooking, nothing didn't get watered and he goes there and all of the like stalks, cause they grow pretty tall, yeah. are like dead and like lying on the ground limp and he comes over and he waters them and ties them up and they're just blooming and back to the way they should be in like two days. And he's Some people been, are just born like that, man. Yeah. He's got, he's got a green thumb. No, I... Had to grow plants for a career for the past 10 years and... Like sunflowers? We'll say in quotations, plants. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know, lots of people I worked with then, you know, had, you know, a dozen or 50 fucking plants at home and I'm like, I don't have a single one. Like, I am done with plants. Mm. Yeah. I don't want to deal with plants at home because I deal with them all day. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Mika's mom has a fucking jungle in her house, and every time I go over there, you, I can't take her flowers. Yeah. So I have to take her a potted plant, and every time she names the new potted plant Adam, and then it dies <laughs> in about six months, and I'm starting to take it personally. <laughs> I, I would too. Yeah. Pressure. <laughs> I feel like she's sending me a message. <laughs> and like most molds, um, russet mold is generally harder. To... <laughs> I'm sorry. That was really funny. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to elaborate. Keep going. <laughs> you two need to get a handle on your right, yeah. <laughs> Why are you still here? Leave already.